Bless you guys. Thank you um, just for having me here. Uh, It is a real privilege. I did nearly bite Dan's hand off. Um, We love our new ground family. Um, Love Edinburgh as well. And uh, now we love the Hudsons because they've (laughs) filled us up today. But you, I've I've been praying for you guys um, just in the run up to coming to visit. And um, as you said, Matt, we don't just have the word. We've got the spirit of God with us. And we've got this father in heaven who shares his heart with us. And just to feel his love and delight for you guys and his purpose in you has been a real joy. So it's a privilege to stand here with you tonight. And um, I'm going to speak to you about loving like Jesus. uh, And I'm going to give the game away straight away. I'll tell you what my message is about. We're going to look at one verse in Song of Songs. um, But a foundational truth that I'm still trying to work my way through, work into my life, is that loving like Jesus is not a case of doing something. You will do stuff. Jesus was a very active saviour. He is a very active saviour. You will do stuff. You will learn to love like Jesus. But it's actually a case of knowing that you are loved like Jesus. That's the root and source. There's a um, translation out at the moment, which isn't really a translation. It's a bit misleading. The title It's quite kind of controversial. It's called the Passion Translation. Um, it's not really a translation, but God spoke to me from Ephesians 3.17. In, in your NIV Bible, if that's what you read, it says it's Paul praying for the church to be rooted and established in God's love. In the Passion Translation, it says, that the, it says, may the resting place of God's love be the root and source of your life. And there's something, if you want to learn to love like Jesus, you have to learn. We, we have to learn. I tell you, I'm still working this out. That we are loved like Jesus by the Father. It's extraordinary. The same love and favour that God had for Jesus on earth is fully ours. Without him finding fault, without condemnation. All of these phrases from the Bible, from James, from Romans. He loves you. If, you, if, you, if you've believed in the name of Jesus tonight, he loves you the same way that, Jesus, that he loves Jesus. And, and that's what we're going to look at. Um, I'm going to pray in just a moment. But, but I, I said this this morning as well. I feel like you guys have got an amazing series to come. It's extraordinary. If you can get this right, I kind of feel like you can get everything right. Because Jesus said there are two commands, the two greatest commands. And if you can get these two commands right, everything else will fall into place. He said that the first command, the greatest command, he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said it's this, quoting Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verse 15, verse 5. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and strength. It's, it's to, to love him from the inside out. From your heart, your soul and then your strength, what you do. Love God. And he said the second command is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. And, I, and I've been learning. I've been, uh, for years, honestly, as a Christian, I, I, I used to struggle with these verses. Because I, all I saw was myself falling short of loving God with all my heart, soul and strength. All I saw was myself falling short of loving my neighbour. I used to be like two sticks I would beat myself with. You're not a very good Christian actor. And then sometimes I'd think, you're a pretty good Christian actor. And then pride would grow and then I'd fail again. <laughs> and then I, 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 what I've been learning and realising as I've understood the gospel more and more and more, and you guys know it, but I believe we're in a season where God wants us to know it, know it. We're not loved by God because of what we do. We're not loved by God more when we get it right and we're not loved by him less when we get it wrong. He loves us fully with an everlasting love 
Jesus died at just the right time for all of us before any of us were born. In fact, before the creation of the world. We're loved because we've believed in the name of Jesus. We're loved fully because of that. And, and I just, I'm going to pray right now because I could speak to you and um, it could be just words. In fact, I, I'm even going to share a dream I had with you guys. Uh, I had a dream very vividly the other night, a few months ago now. And I was in Kingston where I, where I worship in our church. It's incredibly vivid from God. God says in Joel 2, Acts 2, I'll give you dreams. I'll speak to you in your dreams. It was incredibly clear. I can see it as if it happened in my life. I, I was walking through our church. It's a bit like this balcony and downstairs. And it was a, a lovely, the lovely hubbub you get after church. And people were patting me on the back and saying, great meeting, great message. Thank you so much for the preach. Really, I can see their faces right now, friends of mine. And I made my way upstairs and I had a couple of friends who were going to be coming that weekend to church in real life. And in my dream, they were sitting upstairs and they were with another couple that I know and love. And I sat down with them and they were so warm. They said, what a wonderful work God's doing in your church family. That was a great message. It was a great service. Incredibly vivid. Everything was positive, And I felt sick inside myself. The whole dream. In fact, I felt more and more sick as the dream went on. And the words ringing in my head in my dream were that there was no fire in the message. And I woke up that night about two in the morning, and I was like Ebenezer Scrooge. If you know the story of the Christmas carol, he wakes up, he goes for all these Christmases, sees how bad he is, and then he wakes up and he realises Christmas hasn't happened yet. And I woke up at two in the morning with my sermon still to come. And I was just, I didn't, I'd love to tell you, well, I wouldn't, I, I prayed all night and laboured, no. I, I literally said, oh, thank God, <laughs> I haven't preached yet. And I, and I had, had in this dream this sense that the people in front of me only had X amount of Sundays left. And I'd preached a clever message and I'd worked stuff out in a beginning, a middle and an end. And I knew my Bible and so I'd given them something to think about and I'd even challenged them a bit. I'd been passionate but there was no fire in it and I had wasted a Sunday. I woke up and I said, thank you God. And I said, Lord, let there be fire tomorrow. And I rolled over and went to sleep. And do you know, my mate texted me that morning and she said, God bless you in your sermon. This is the one who was visiting. She said, I prayed that God would speak to you last night in your dreams. Isn't that amazing? That's the God we serve. So would you join me in prayer? Not that I preach a good message, but that God put some fire in it. I'm going to speak to you about fire tonight as well. He loves you so much. Okay, even if I give you a bad message, he loves you enough to turn it good as it goes into your ears. <laughs> Should we pray? Father, we want to pray with great expectation great faith that there is nothing in this world, Lord, or in, in the spiritual realm that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We want to ask you, Lord, that with, our little, with my loaves and fishes, Lord, the little I bring tonight, God, would you feed us? Lord, I've been walking through Edinburgh tonight, Lord, and I've walked past, what, 30 churches between here and Dan's house. Some of them seem to be alive and some are closed up and dead. God, we want to pray for your love to be poured out in your church. We want to pray for the prosperity of kings, Lord, but also Chalmers Church and all these other churches I saw, Lord God, so many of them. We want to pray for those dead buildings to be opened up. Lord, we want to pray tonight, Lord. Who, who, you know who you have here tonight and they've given up their evening to be here. God, let there be fire in what I say. Let there be fire in our hearts, Lord. What did the two guys in Emmaus Road say? Didn't our hearts burn within us as Jesus spoke to us? Lord Jesus, would you speak to us? Your name is Emmanuel, you're here.
Would you speak to us and teach us, Lord, that we are loved like you and therefore we're empowered to love like you. In your name, Lord. Amen. Amen. I'm going to just speak from one verse, um, Song of Songs, chapter 8 and verse 6. It's a a love poem. It's the Old Testament. It's um, a guy called King Solomon. Uh, A guy called Guy, I think, this morning shared a word before I preached about Solomon. and, And he shared something about his middle name being Jedediah, which means loved by God. This is a guy who knew that God loved him. And he wrote this poem. It's uh, about romantic love, married love. Uh, It's about physical love as well. But it also has this deep spiritual truth. It's the song of songs, the great song about love. And this one verse describes love objectively. Now, there are different types of love for sure, but there is one love that comes from God. In fact, 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love. There is one love. And so as we look at this, I want to ask the Lord, and I have been asking the Lord, to give us a view of what God's love in Jesus Christ looks like, what it is, what's the nature of this love that we've received so that we can love like Jesus. And I'm going to read it out. Um, I'm reading, again, uh, this is from the NIV, UK version, Bible Gateway. Um, But there's the very last line, there are two translations of it. It's either in uh, a mighty flame, that love is like a mighty flame. The King James Version says it's a vehement flame. But if you read your footnote, it says, or the flame of the Lord. And God spoke to me so powerfully through that. that I'm, I'm using that version of it. The Hebrew is shal havet yah. I think that's the first time in five years I've quoted the Hebrew. I'm not very smart like that. But I really wanted to know, why is it a mighty flame or the flame of the Lord? Shal havet yah. It means flame of God. It's the name of God written into this word of fire. And I, I'll end end with this truth I really believe it's not that God's love is like a fire it's that love is the very fire of God and the references you hear about fire in the New Testament they're talking of God's love so let me read it and that's me explaining why it might look a little bit different in your Bible place me like a seal over your heart like a seal on your arm for love is as strong as death and its jealousy is as, as unyielding as the grave It burns like a blazing fire, the very flame of the Lord. Father, again, I ask you, speak to us, Lord, as your word is living and active, Lord. It never returns void. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. Its jealousy is unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, the very flame of the Lord. Just going to work my way through it, very simply. God's love for us, is intensely personal. His first two lines, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. This is a great verse for people getting married. It says, all that I am in my heart, I give you. And all that I do, my arms, I give you. And God's love for us is intensely personal. It's it's this love that identifies with us, that comes close It chooses not to do or be anything except with reference to the person that he loves. And you know the gospel is like that. The gospel of Jesus Christ is like that. We know that God, Philippians 2, being in very nature, Jesus being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. But instead he humbled himself and took on the likeness of of, of a servant. John 1, it talks about the word dwelt among us and became flesh. He put on flesh. God became a man. He identified with us. He, He looked at humanity It was always his plan. And he said, God, this incredible God who's 
far bigger than anything we understand. He, said, he even said to David, when David wanted to build a church for him, a temple for him, he said, heaven and earth can't even contain me. How are you going to build a box for me on the earth? He's so vast. And yet he looked down at humanity and he said, I'm going to place myself like a seal over your heart, like a seal over your arm. All that you are, people, and all that you do, I will become and I'll do like you. Isn't it amazing? He became a human being. The mystery that God would become a man is staggering. You could stop there. I, again, sharing this morning, my, a lot of my family are Muslims. And they are disgusted by the idea that God could become one of us. But God chooses to identify with us all that we are and all that we do. And he takes it further. It's not just that he lived on earth and showed us what a perfect life looked like. He identifies with the very, very, very worst of us and the worst that we are. The worst of our sick hearts. Anyone ever been sickened by their own heart? Or sickened by the the things we've done with our own hands? Words? Well, Jesus, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that God the Father made him, Jesus, who knew no sin. He knew nothing of sin. He was perfect and pure. He made him to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you know, on the cross, it says in Isaiah, it pleased the Father to crush Jesus on the cross. We've had um, church leaders saying that. To, to hear that like that is like cosmic child abuse. No, it's because Jesus became sin on the cross. It says in Proverbs 17, there are two things God hates. To acquit the guilty and to condemn the innocent. I, I was really like, I tripped over and fell over that verse when I read it. Because my whole understanding of Christianity was that God condemned innocent Jesus so that he could acquit guilty me. And yet it says in Isaiah, it pleased the Father to crush him. What happened on the cross? God made him who knew no sin to become sin. And he crushed sin in him so that I could be the righteousness of God. God doesn't condemn innocent Jesus and acquit guilty me. He somehow becomes sin. He identifies with us. A sick heart, sick deeds. And Jesus says, I'll take that on myself. And I'll die on the cross so that my heart can be clean and my deeds can be righteous. Isn't that amazing? He identifies with us in life, in death. Now here's the bit that I'm starting to get to grips with and it really, really blows my mind. He identifies with us in glory. You know, in John 17, he's praying and he says things like, I'm going to give them the glory that you gave me. Wow. That's the presence of God that Jesus had on him. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to give it to my followers. He says, I send them as you sent me. And he later says it to his disciples. As I was sent, so I send you. How was he sent? Full of God, full of the Holy Spirit, with all the favour and love and power of God on him. Unlimited power, unlimited love, unlimited wisdom and authority, not from earth. And he says, I send you like that. You've got these verses where say we're seated. I've got it written on the back of my office chair. Seated in heavenly places. (laughs) It's amazing to me. Co-heirs and co-laborers with Christ. Can you imagine? He's, he's not only identified with us in life and in our sin and in death, he calls us to identify with him in his sonship. I prayed with someone this morning and I shared something that God spoke to me about this week. Not this week, sorry, this year, earlier this year. Because I, I really believe, guys, if Jesus enjoyed unbroken relationship with the father he always heard from God you know I was washing up years ago and I and I was 
wasn't even praying. I was just like, is this a trick? It says in the Bible that Jesus was tempted in every way, just as I am. I cannot count the number of times I've fallen into temptation. I was like, is this a trick? He was God on earth. How is he really tempted like me? And yet he never thought or said or did anything wrong. There's only those three areas of sin. You think wrong, you say wrong, you do wrong. I wasn't even praying. I was just like, How, is this a trick? How did he? And I felt the Lord say to me as I'm washing up, there was no room for sin. And as he said it, I knew what he meant. Jesus spent his whole life speaking to the Father, listening to the Father, and doing what the Father said. Isn't it amazing? It's incredible. And, and I believe that's our invitation and inheritance. God wants to speak to you right now. I, I grew up in, as a Christian. I've been a Christian about 20 years. I spent about 20 years not as a Christian. And the number of years I was waiting for the email from God to come, desperate for a prophetic word from someone to come and give me a prophetic word, not realising that my daily bread is to hear God speak to me. If I ask him something, he will respond. And if he doesn't speak, Psalm 27 says, my heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, O Lord, I will seek. Hebrews 3 says, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Hebrews 12 says, fix your eyes on Jesus. You can somehow see him with the eyes of faith. Isn't that amazing? And Right now, he wants to speak to you. Right now, even with me jibber-jabbering on, God wants to speak to you. It's incredible. I was just um, sharing again this morning, standing in Croydon one day during worship this year again, and I felt the Lord say this to me. I, honestly, anything I'm saying to you, go and check it out in the Bible, make sure I'm not lying to you. That all the stuff God speaks to you in the Spirit, it will be confirmed in the Word of God. He will never contradict himself. But he said this to me, I'm worshipping like that, and I felt the Lord speak to me so softly. I have chosen never to think of myself. This is God speaking, the creator. I've chosen never to think of myself, never to think of myself without thinking of you. And when he said you, I knew he meant all of us who were worshipping that morning. And he said, my invitation to you is to never think of yourself without reference to me. Isn't that extraordinary? The mind and heart of God Place me as a seal on your heart, as a seal on your arm. Are you a believer in Jesus today? Do you believe that your name is written on his heart? That your name is graven on the hand of God? That's mysterious, isn't it? Incredible. Do you know, I'm getting heavy and deep. But I, I just I said to Dan, I had the best lunch. I love my food. So even now the food is in my head and I'm thinking, well, that was a good meal. Thank you, Jesus. I'm learning to be so grateful for what God does and gives me and I'm learning to expect little adventures with him all the time. So I left Dan's house, just felt like I wanted to have a walk and a talk with my father. <laughs> Amazing, eh? I get to speak to a guy in the Costa on the corner. I popped in to get a coffee, he's Polish. So I'm telling him how the Holy Spirit helps me, to, gave me Polish. I speak fluent Polish, I never learnt it. I even told him in Polish that I'm lenive, it means I'm lazy. Because God gave me Polish and I never practiced it before. So I'm speaking to this guy who's grown up with the Roman Catholic Church about the Holy Spirit in Costa. It wasn't hard. Just loved him and loved God. This is the two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and strength. It means every moment of your life, practice his presence. Where are you, Lord? What do you want me to do, Lord, right now? 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. If you try and do that in a religious way, you will die. <laughs> Spiritually first and then physically probably. 
What does it mean to pray without ceasing? It means you're thinking all the time anyway. Think unto the Lord. Take every thought captive to Christ. It means he died for you. He loves you. He will listen and he'll speak to you. So I speak to this guy in Costa. Then, then I'm walking down the street. There's a, um, a lady across the road. And I thought, she looks like a Christian. You get these feelings sometimes. And she came over to me. I crossed the road to take a picture of one of these empty churches. And she was here this morning on a visit from Holland. And so we had a walk back to her flat and we talked about what God is and who he is and what he's doing in these days. It was amazing, you know. It was just amazing. And then, can I share? Is that all right? (laughs) Matthew, you led us in communion. And I'm standing next to my sister, Rachel, who I've never met before, who tells me that she's going to Kingston in January to start an MBA and has been praying about a church like King's in Kingston. Isn't God amazing? Come on. He, he wants to identify with you so intimately. He's not lying when he says he knows the number of hairs on your head. He's not lying when he says he sees a sparrow fall and a raven fall. And he, it means something to him, but you mean far more to him. You're, you're called to never think of yourself without reference to God. And you'll only live in that place if you know that he has chosen to never think of himself without thinking of you. It's extraordinary. Set me as a seal upon your heart and a seal upon your arm the next lines <laughs> for love is as strong as death and its jealousy is unyielding as the grave like his love is personal but it is epic is the only word i've got for this it's immense it's timeless it's unlimited it's literally from everlasting to everlasting his love and so in in the days when solomon is writing this there is one universal feature to life and that is that everyone dies <laughs> i mean even on one level, it's true of Edinburgh today. Everyone who's alive today is going to die. They used to say it's death and taxes, and now you have offshore havens and things. It's just death that we have in common. But that was written before Christ. And even then, Solomon has a glimpse of the love of God, and he says, love is just like death. God will pour his love out on all people, the righteous and the wicked. He will love us in creation, but it's like death. But we who know Jesus and live after Jesus, we know that love is stronger than death love conquered death 1 Corinthians 15 death where is your victory where is your sting death and sin is swallowed up in life and light and love through the resurrection of Jesus isn't that extraordinary so so what does that mean for our understanding of love it means that his love is unstoppable it will achieve all that he wants it to achieve on a personal level how many times does Jesus tell you not to worry many What does he call the Holy Spirit for you? A comforter. You know why? Because there are countless things to worry about in life and they're real. And there are many things that are going to cause you to need need comfort. You are going to have trouble in this world. And if you read your Bible properly, you'll have trouble in the world. You'll actually have trouble in the church, which is why we have to forgive one another and love one another. You're going to have trouble in your own heart as you work this stuff out. But his love will achieve its end in you. He's the author and finisher of your faith. Isn't that amazing? You're going to be with him forever. This momentary life, trust me, I'm 41 now, and life only gets quicker and quicker and quicker. Amen? (laughs) If you're older people, it's extraordinary how fast life goes by. But very soon, what did Job write? I know that my Redeemer lives, and one day I will see him. He's going to stand on the earth, and with these eyes I will see him. Guys, we're meant to live as people who know where we're going. 
Jesus is coming soon. What is the, what are the very last words of the Bible? Behold, look, be alert, look, behold, I am coming soon and my reward is with me. And the spirit of God and the bride of God, the, the restless church on earth say, even so come Lord Jesus. We long for his return. Paul, who hated Christians and tried to kill him, says, I long to go and be with Christ and yet it's better for me to stay now because I can have a harvest among you, I can do my work, but I long to be with Jesus. For to me, Philippians 1.21, to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We're meant to be people who know that our future is sealed. I, I remember even this year again, the realisation as I was worshipped, lost in wonder I was singing, lost in wonder, lost in praise, whatever the song is like that. And I felt God saying to me, you are lost forever from hell. Hallelujah! You're lost forever for sin. You will struggle now with sin that entangles you, but sin won't have me, ever. Praise God, eh? I'm lost from hell. My name's not written in that book. He's going to bring me home. And you know what? As a, as a pastor, I'll tell you, I've wept tears over the church in the last two years, our congregation, but the wider church as well. I don't think what we have today is the fullness of what Jesus Christ died for. But you know what? He started to speak to me in my tears. I literally got a word from someone. They rang me. They said, I wrote this down for you. I was, I was coming through London on my way back from Poland this year. And uh, they rang me and said, I'm in a restaurant. I've got to give you this word now. And God said, I've broken your heart over and over and over for the church. He did it in me. But you know, in that brokenness, as I wept over the church, do you know what came stronger and stronger and stronger? Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. Jesus is coming back for a bride without spot or blemish and he will not lose any of those that his father has given him. And you know, a weight started to come off me because I've been so caught up in, how do I grow this thing? How do I make people come? How do I get, I want them to come and hear about Jesus. I'm not interested in my thing. I don't want people to remember my name, but, but I, the burden of trying to get this thing going. And, and I was walking down the river. God said to me, this is the River Thames. And he says, has any single one been gathered to you except by my hand? No, Lord. So what are you worried about? John 6, 66. At this time, many people left Jesus. Was Jesus faithful and successful and full of the Spirit in those days? Yes. God starts speaking to me about the, the, the theology of pruning. Sometimes I make my church look smaller. He is going to save everyone he wants to save. And I used to think that I could mess his plans up by not doing what I'm supposed to do. I can't. I can step out of the slipstream of what he's doing on the earth. But his grace is so strong and he loves me so much that he, he longs for me to be in that place. Acts 17, he has ordained the times and places where each of you who know Christ to live. Isn't that amazing? And his invitation again is to walk with him, keep in step with the Spirit, Galatians 5. Love God in every moment. God, what do you want me to do? And be kind to the people around you. Love, love them because he's going to do it anyway. He's going to do it and he wants to do it with us. Anything you pray for the church God wants it more than you do and has the power to do it. Isn't it extraordinary? I remember early on in Kingston and God said to me, anything you ask for yourselves, get in the habit of asking for more for those churches around you. You know, God spoke to me and I, okay, it broke my heart. He, Jesus tells the story of a banquet and he says, do you know what? When you go to, a, the, the Bible tells you this. You go to someone's house. He says, don't try and take the best seat because maybe the master of the house will say, sorry, that's not for you and he'll give you a more lowly seat and someone else will take the high place. And God broke my heart and he said, all my people trying to, trying to make the best church, trying to be the best church in their neighbourhood, 
So we've publicly in Kingston, sometimes we pray it and we say, Lord, if, we, if you want us to be the least and lowliest of the churches in Kingston, we will praise you that we get a seat at the table. Isn't that glorious that we're invited in? His church, his table, he's going to do it. Our final destination is not death, it's him. The final state of the church is that it is going to be glorious. And guys, he's doing a good job today. Don't, don't worry. Whatever is good, Philippians 4, whatever is noble, whatever is worthy of praise, think about these things and you'll start to see God at work in his church. He loves us and he's doing a good job right now. I want to say to you guys, I've written it down here, but I just let me pray. There's just one more thing I want to share afterwards. Father, I want to pray for freedom again for leaders, Lord, for those who carry the church in their hearts, Lord. I want to pray for each of us who knows you today. Give us your heart for the church. For the church, Lord, one faith, one love, one church, Lord, one head. Give us your heart, Lord. Give us faith, hope and love, 1 Corinthians 13, Lord, for the church. And Lord, release us from the burden of trying to win and lose people or stuff. We are to call people, let's snatch them from the flames, it says in Jude. We're to make disciples, Lord. We will do that by loving God in every moment and loving the person in front of us, being kind to them, loving them, giving them our attention and our ear. But Father, would you set us free from trying to gather stuff, gather people? It's not a case of what you win or lose before you die. It's a case of who and how you love. Father, put that truth in our heart. Lord, let us live with you and live as you. And guys, this is the final thing I want to say. It's intensely personal. It's epic, unstoppable, eternal, his love. And, and the two things come together in these final verses for me. This final, it's one verse, 8-6. Love burns like a blazing fire, the very flame of the Lord. I, I want to I ask you to test this, read your Bible, pray, speak to your elders about it as well, because I, I feel confident. We spoke about it, I spoke with Dan about it as well. I feel confident in this. It's been a personal revelation, but you need to work this out for yourselves. I feel like as, as God spoke to me from this verse in the summer, I started to see every reference to fire in the New Testament as a reminder of the love of God. Actually, like the fire is God. So to John the Baptist says, one greater than me is coming. John had this incredible ministry, the last of the old covenant prophets. He didn't have the spirit the way we have the spirit because Jesus did that on the earth through his death and resurrection. He said, one greater than me is coming and he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus talks about his crucifixion. He says, I've come to kindle a fire on the earth. And how I long for it to be kindled. Well, could he, could he have been longing? Could he have been looking at a world starved of the love of God and knowing that when he died and rose again, and John 16 verse 7 said it was, to, he says to his disciples, he's back from the dead. They're like, Jesus, you're back. Thank God. He's like, I'm going. Actually, he tells them before he's crucified and, and risen again. But John 16 verse 7 happens before the crucifixion. But I'm sure they had this conversation many times. He says, it's better for you that I'm going. Because if I go, I'll speak to the Father. He's going to send you the spirit of God, the spirit of love and wisdom and revelation. The spirit of Jesus is coming. Could it be when Jesus said, I've come to kindle a fire on the earth, that he was looking at a love-starved world and thinking, when I die and I remove the barrier of sin from this place, then love is going to be poured out on the earth through my people, overflowing and abounding to those around in a way like the world has never seen. When the disciples receive the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, there's fire upon their heads. And on and on, all these references, our God is a consuming fire. Jesus' eyes are burning with fire. 
There's so many references to um, fire in the New Testament. I think they all speak of Shal Hevet Yah, the fire of God, which is love. And I just want to say, let God's love consume your theology. Don't think about any aspect of God or the Bible without knowing that love is supreme in it all. Everything, anything that you are trying to process. I gave some examples this morning. I can think of them. But, but everything, read it through the lens of love. Not because it makes it soft. It doesn't. It's just why God created anything. It's why he sent Jesus for love. And so anything you read, when you, when you to acknowledge Jesus on earth, when the Holy Spirit is grieved when you sin, he's not angry with you because he's poured all of his anger out on Jesus. He's grieved because he loves you and wants better for you. Everything, let, it, let all your theology be consumed by love. What is bad of your theology will be burnt away and what is good will remain. Let all your sin be consumed in the fire of his love. If you try and defeat sin on your own, Romans 7 says, if you try and live by rules, you're going to get worse into sin. You're going to get prideful or condemned. You will do the very things you don't want to do and the things you want to do, you won't have time to do them. So how do we defeat sin in our lives? By resting in his love. It's the kindness of God that leads us us to repentance. And what is his kindness if not love? Romans 2. It is the grace of God that teaches you to say no to sin. Prodigal son covered in pig muck, squandering his dad's money and wishing his dad was dead, comes back and the father runs to meet him. If you abide in Jesus, rest in his love, even when you fail, the love of his kindness, the love of his grace will consume sin in you, I promise. I've had addictions galore, drugs, pornography, the lot. And I've beat myself up about it and I've wept in private and I've gone to people, confessed it, and then I've gone back into it and I haven't had the guts to go and confess it again. You know what defeated it? Knowing that God loves me through it all. And suddenly the appetite starts to go. Rest in his love and let the fire of his love consume your sin. And here's the final thing, guys. I just want to cast a vision for you for Edinburgh, for who you are. Because God spoke to me about this. This, um, this is just like the last couple of weeks. I started to see how everything in life is to be consumed by love because of what Jesus has done. So if you start with the stuff of church and my dream about the fire, there was no fire in it. God was, I didn't even know this until recently when he spoke to me about this connection with love. There was no love in my sermon. Guys, there's no point in me standing before you unless I've spent time with the Father to get his love for you. Preaching without love is nothing. Pastoring without love is nothing. Worship without love is nothing. Everything in evangelism without love is nothing. 1 Corinthians 13. You can have the best evangelism program. But if there's no love, there's nothing in it. Do you know, I've, I long to see people healed. I've seen incredible miracles of healing. And I've seen loads of people not get healed when we pray for them. But I started to understand the thing that activates healing faith is love. Compassion for people. Prophecy is love. The word of corrections, Ephesians 4, speak the truth in love to one another. Every aspect, even your money, when you give, it's love. You know, if Jesus said, beware of the love of money, of mammon. Because it's, he didn't say this, but it, the reason he says that is because it's an antichrist spirit. You trust money to give you peace and freedom. If only I had a bit more money, I'd have more freedom. I'd have more peace. I'd have better health. That's what money whisper, the love of money whispers to us in our day. Do you know, I saw this just two weeks ago. 
money in the house. Why does Jesus speak about money so much? He gives that warning about the love of money because it, it so easily sets it up as a, a false god, an antichrist. And actually money in our culture will seem to deliver quicker than God. Give you peace and health and all those things. And, and Jesus says, beware of that and trust only God. But I saw that money in the hands of believers, kingdom hands, is meant to be a manifestation of love. I believe God is going to trust his people with money and buildings in the days to come. I think there is persecution to come to our island, I do, but not yet. I think God is going to do something as he's been speaking to me about stuff. He's going to trust us more and more to do good because money is a manifestation of love in kingdom hands. Isn't that extraordinary? Everything that we do, whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. If you teach, if you're a husband, if you're a wife, here's where I want to leave this, guys. Every single thing in your life Everything is to be soaked and consumed by the fire of God's love. And what's bad in it will burn away and what's good in it will remain like the burning bush. And then God spoke to me through this verse. I'm going to read it. This is from Ephesians 1:22. Incredible truth about the church. God has placed all things. Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. It means no one else has any except he gives it. How, how, if God's for us, who can be against us? And God has placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything. It's total. God, these three words. God has placed all things under Jesus' feet, appointed him to be head over everything for the church, for you and for me. For the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. How does God fill everything in every way through his church? By teaching us to live in his love, do all things in love, and in every moment of our lives to love God and love the person in front of us. Guys, he's going to do extraordinary things through you. Can I pray for you? Can we stand? You don't have to, but if you want to receive something of God, you can stay seated. You'll still receive something. Jesus. Lord, I still daily am amazed at what I have in you, Lord. That you not sparing your only son, Romans 8, 32. You didn't spare Jesus. You freely gave him up for us, Lord. And you say, how much more will I not give you all things? If I gave you my son, if I paid with his blood for your lives, why do you think I won't bless you with all things besides? And you are the God of whatever, whoever. This is, I started to say this earlier. I started to say it earlier, but I didn't tell you. God spoke to me. He said, I am the God of whatever, whoever, wherever, whenever. Would you just, Lord, would you let these words and these truths just spike our hearts, Lord? Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from their heart. It says by this, he was talking about the Holy Spirit who hadn't yet been given, this spirit of love hadn't been given because Jesus hadn't been glorified on the cross. But now he has. If you believe in Jesus, whoever believes in him, rivers of living water will flow from your heart to the people around you. And if you believe in Jesus, whoever believes in Jesus will do the things he did and even greater things. Why? Because he's going to the Father, John 14, and he's going to send the Spirit of God to earth. He's done it. So if you believe in Jesus, you can do the stuff that Jesus did and even greater things because the Spirit of love and wisdom and revelation is at work in you. God said to me, I'm the God of whoever, wherever, whenever, whatever. Whoever believes in me, wherever this gospel is preached, whenever two or more of you gather in my name and whatever you ask 
in my name. Whatever you ask, believing you've received it. Whatever you ask, according to my will. Whatever two or more of you ask for on earth, it will be done. He is the God of whatever, whoever, wherever and whenever. And I I believe with all my heart, he is inviting you to seek him alone. Seek his love. Rest in his love. Become strong in his love. Be rooted and established in his love. And then be amazed at what he wants to do. Father, would you bless these men and women? Would you bless this church? And Father, would you bless every church where the spark of love and life is in Edinburgh, Lord? Would you do away with any legacy of competition, Lord? I don't even know if there is one. But Lord, any legacy of competition, and would you move with your spirit, Lord, to cause love to be seen in Edinburgh? God, even the LGBT movement, Lord, and these things, claiming for love, Lord, no, Lord, let there be a true love that reaches all people of all ages and all walks of life, Lord. And Lord, use this church in mighty ways, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys. Thanks for listening.